Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, Episode 9. Plenty to discuss here tonight on the GSP. We're going to finish our Formula One preview tonight, going over the top three teams in the Constructors' Championship last year. We'll also discuss the Austrian Grand Prix, the Formula One season opener after the Australian Grand Prix had to be canceled due to COVID-19. We'll also discuss the Indy Grand Prix, the IndyCar Grand Prix at Indianapolis. I think it's a GMR Grand Prix. And uh, that's the first road course race of the season, only the second race they've had. Uh, plenty to look at there. And, of course, Pocono last week took place for NASCAR, a historic triple header and at Pocono. And we'll go over, definitely go over the cup races, the two cup races and the Xfinity and then we'll also go into the Brickyard 400 previewing that. And then finally, we'll talk about the IMSA series returning for the first time since the Rolex 24 coming back to Daytona for July the 4th. Uh, while they should be running the Coke Zero 400 there, instead they'll be running an IMSA race. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm here with my co-host, Josh Fine. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing great. I'm just glad to be talking about racing and um glad to be talking about all the stuff we got to talk about tonight well yeah got a lot going going on you got some racing relatively close by to you this weekend at daytona the way it should be um they should be having a nascar race there but then that's a separate discussion i guess for later on uh we'll start with formula one though uh, first thing we're gonna do we've already went through the top we've went through the bottom seven teams in order in the Formula One uh, Constructors' Championship last year. So now we're going to talk about the three teams, the three top teams everyone, you know, they spend all their energy on in terms of media coverage and uh, what they're going to do here in 2020. And the first one will be Red Bull, uh, Team Red Bull with Honda, and they'll be racing at the Red Bull ring in the next two weeks. Uh, first time this Sunday for the season opener and the following Sunday for a second race. Uh, the big deal with Red Bull, of course, is uh, the guy that's arguably the Kyle Busch, I would say, of Formula One. Cocky, arrogant. Um, a lot of people, you either love him or hate him. It's Max Verstappen. And Josh, I guess the opening question is, after now... Max Verstappen being the lead, being a lead dog at Red Bull in a sense for uh, two or three years and them not being able to perform up to that higher standard on a weekly basis. Is this the time? Can Max Verstappen finally compete with Lewis Hamilton for a World Drivers Championship? Uh, I certainly think he can. I think for that to happen, though, he might have to win at least one of the next two races, whether it's the first one or the second one here in Australia or Austria. Uh, you know, it depends on how, you know, how many races they get to race this season as they have eight scheduled here in the European leg. And then and an unknown, depending on how many uh, races will be cleared um, with the pandemic going on. But I think, uh, you know, he'll have to be very consistent and I think definitely it would help if they come out of the gate with a win uh, in the next two races. 
Yeah, the getting off the the momentum being there is going to be key. I, I totally agree because if Red Bull can go and get a couple of poles, can get a couple of wins, that's a good start, especially going to Hungary, which has been a track where the Red Bull car has historically been uh, pretty solid in recent years. Uh, as we'll get into a little later, uh, it also fits a certain other driver and uh, his career and what he's done there. But I think for Verstappen, he's never been in a spot where he he has had a chance right at the start of the season. There have been times where he's been the, they may have had the fastest car, but they'd already given up a lot of ground to the Mercedes and the Ferrari teams. Now Ferrari might be on the back foot, which we'll discuss. And Mercedes is kind of in a holding pattern. They have some transitional changes going on within their team. So the, I guess the, the bigger question is, can Max Verstappen hold up to the pressure some people would say yes, some people would say no. He's been known to crack occasionally. Um, I would venture to say the way that the Hungarian Grand Prix ran last year, where Lewis Hamilton beat him with the lesser car and beat him on strategy and just sheer, you know, talent. And who knows, can he can he stand up to that and based on on some of the battles he's had over his career. Uh, that'll be something to look for so far going in uh, this weekend. They'll be practicing Friday, qualifying on Saturday, and then, of course, the race on Sunday. Uh, another piece to the puzzle in terms of them trying to compete, not only for the World Drivers' Championship, but a Constructors' Championship. First time they'd be competing for one since 2012, or 2013, actually, would be Alexander Albon who was a rookie last year, got called up to the big team from Toro Rosso. Uh, they traded uh, Gasly with uh, Albon. He fell. Um, he had a chance at finishing second at the Brazilian Grand Prix. Contact with Lewis Hamilton cost him that, and then Lewis Hamilton ended up getting demoted as well. Um well, how much will Alexander Albon's progress, because everyone talks about him and George Russell, his friends, George Russell, Lando Norris. Um, they also talk about Charles Leclerc. They're all these young guns. They've all been together forever. They've known each other for a long time. But how much will Albon's progress play into the fortunes of where Red Bull can go? And is it possible that he could win a Grand Prix here this year and get his first career win? I'm not sure if he'll win a Grand Prix, but certainly it's definitely possible. Depends on how their luck goes in these races and if they can stay within a uh, range of the Mercedes cars, uh, most likely Lewis Hamilton. But if he finishes well and and can get uh, points, I think certainly it'll help uh, Red Bull's progress. And certainly with uh, Max Verstappen looking to take that next step and be a more consistent championship uh, contender, I think uh, certainly it would help the overall team. But if he doesn't do well and he um, either retires or he doesn't finish in the points, I think maybe it'll pull the team down, uh, certainly. Yeah, when it comes to winning constructors' championships, you need two drivers that are able to consistently score 
and with some of the stuff that we've discussed over the past couple of weeks on the GSP, the midfield is starting to tighten up. There's some opportunities for some points to be stolen here and there. You look at Racing Point, whatever you want to call them, a force, formerly Force India, formerly Jordan, blah, blah, blah. They're going to be Aston Martin. So this is the end of uh, Red Bull with Aston Martin uh, after this year they're, they're because uh, Lauren Stroll has bought them. And like they might be up there with their Mercedes clone. They might be able to steal podium, steal points. Uh, you got McLaren, you have... You have teams that have shown some pace, shown the ability to stand up there, Renault as well. So can Red Bull, can Honda uh, stand up to the fight here in 2020? It'll be the first time Honda has competed in an honest-to-God for a, a world championship in 30 years, I think, because it was 91 was the last time Honda legitimately was a championship contender in Formula One. So we will see about Red Bull at their home for the next two weeks for the Formula One World Championship. We'll go from a one young gun to another. Uh, basically, Max Verstappen's rival, for all intents and purposes, is Charles Leclerc, who, uh, after recent, uh, recent contract uh, signings and stuff, he's now the leader of Ferrari. He has a five-year deal. He is the long-term guy. They are going, they are going to invest in them. The man from Monaco, his brother is a part of the junior program. Carlos Sainz will be uh, his teammate starting in 2021. Uh, but of course, after race this year, and there was a lot of uh, controversy, argy bargy, if you're um, Calvin Fish, uh, little other words that uh, the great Bob Varsha would use or David Hobbs. But with Vettel now announced to leave and being a four-time world champion, winning over 50 races, one of the greatest ever. But he's had a definite fall from grace in the last few years where he's made a lot more mistakes, a lot more mental errors. Um, do, do we see that shift take place do we see a definite one and two driver at ferrari does charles leclerc take that step forward or is it going to be the usual ferrari kind of uh nonsense that they have and they don't know who to really favor and we end up kind of where they always end up i i think it already is with uh leclerc being the top dog and Vettel now kind of shifting back to that uh, second-hand driver. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, Vettel's contract negotiations basically falling through. Um, and one thing I think you should note is that they, I mean, they re-signed uh, Leclerc to a large deal last year. And yeah. then the you know, ne- negotiations with Vettel fell through this year, and that was really kind of a... a a nice way of putting it Um, but you know one thing that i saw is that they're testing you know they're testing their car getting ready for uh this grand prix coming up and it seems like they're promoting uh leclerc more or you know they're they're putting him as the face of the team rather than um vettel so i think 
from just from that standpoint alone, there are you know it's it's not um, significant, but it's subtle enough to notice the difference. I think, and so I think just from that alone, you can tell that um, they're already preparing to uh, have uh, Leclerc be the top dog in Ferrari. And that's and that's a great point you brought up about when with Leclerc and the contract, and also about I guess what transpired in terms of Vettel after all these years at Ferrari being they got rid of Fernando Alonso thinking thinking Vettel would be the savior uh, and you could venture to say that Vettel has been worse than than Alonso was at Ferrari uh, I mean Alonso twice in four years or three years or whatever had a chance at the final Grand Prix to win the world championship in a Ferrari and Vettel with Red Bull won. And of course people know about Alonso and his greatness and all, and they showed his Indy 500 car and we'll talk about that more in detail, I guess later on in a couple months when the Indy 500 comes, but you have to question Ferrari's, uh, direction here and it's kind of like going into this point with Leclerc he he he's very aggressive and he was liable he would show amazing pace he won at Spa he won at the Italian Grand Prix but then he'd make mistakes on his own and then you would add the intra-team kind of deals where they'd crash into each other the do you believe Josh, that Leclerc can handle this pressure. It's similar to what Verstappen, because I think it's, I think the same question can be asked. Can Charles Leclerc perform as not only a de facto team leader, but can he stand up to Lewis Hamilton here? Can he go and make Lewis Hamilton have to earn his seventh world championship by going and winning races, winning polls, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I, I definitely think they can. Um, it's going to be a tough deal, though, certainly with uh, Hamilton being the most dominant driver of the last half decade. And especially with, I think, uh, Ferrari, they're, they're not getting upgrades until Hungary. Yeah. Uh, which I think that might put them behind the, the eight ball a little bit um, at the start of the season. But yeah. I, I think um, as long as they can finish well and, and get podiums if, if uh, Leclerc can get podiums and and you know finish consistently and try to at least steal a couple of races here and there I think he'll certainly um, show that he can challenge and I don't know if he'll actually win the, the title or, or come close to it but I think you'll see him more often than not take uh, that leadership step at Ferrari and that's a good point you brought up Josh in terms of uh, updates most of these teams through whatever news source you you use to go and follow formula one they're all bringing updates to austria for the now first race of the season uh, red bull has multiple layers of updates mercedes has multiple updates uh, red bull's gonna have a brand new uh, internal combustion engine from honda it was going to be their step two upgrade that they were going to have. So there's, there's other teams. You got McLaren who hasn't even run their car. Uh, Haas hasn't run their car. 
in since whatever since testing so you have both sides of that ferrari not having to go and basically switch mattia Binotto coming out and saying that whatever they worked with that at testing in in spain at circuit de catalunya was not the right direction and they basically decided at that point they need to restart and go another direction with that that means they're gonna run these first two races with their testing basically what they had in in late february early march uh will they and you know when you talk about how many races they're gonna run every point i think is gonna count and giving away points because you don't have the best you don't have a car that can compete uh is a bigger deal when you may only run 14 races or 12 races or 16 or whatever it is it sounds like that italy is going to have some sort of a triple header because you have of course the italian grand prix and i think there's a couple mugello you have imola they're both asking and looking for formula one races again or you know and that that might happen um outside it looks like portugal with portimao i wish it was estoril because i love the estoril circuit but that's just me uh it's gonna be a very european centric schedule uh i think they're just trying to get the season going liberty media to go and get some momentum and after the first three races reevaluate make sure everybody kind of gets through it's similar to what the pga tour is dealing with with their covid um they had one set of standards and it didn't seem to be great uh, good enough and they've had to make some adjustments to them but it, the vast majority of their players and caddies and important people have been fine but there have been a there's been a few people the players and caddies that have had to go and um be set aside how that will affect other team how it will affect teams is something we will get into uh we will go from Ferrari and Red Bull to the team that has dominated this uh, 1.6 liter turbo uh, rules package. Um, since 2014, they've changed the cars. They changed aero and all the width and all these kind of things. They did that. But Mercedes has been the lead dog since 2014. And fundamentally, Lewis Hamilton, he made a choice in 2012 to sign with Mercedes because of Ross Braun and the late, great um, Nicky Lauda convincing him that they were going to make a world championship winning car. He said it may be a struggle in 2013. It, it, you're not going to be up front every single race, It's you're, but we're going to make a car for 2014 where you're going to win a world championship. And Nicky Lauda is right because ever since 2014, Lewis Hamilton has won five world championships and frankly should have six straight world championships uh, if Mercedes wasn't stupid. Um, that's beside the point. I think in terms of Mercedes, you know, they've had some changes. Their engine chief is going to be leaving. There's a couple other things. They, they're they making a stand in terms of the social justice because of, of course, Lewis being African-American and uh, 
being very uh, forward thinking. Um, they're going to have a black um, majority, uh, um, a black base on their car instead of the silver arrows. Um, it's a cool looking car because you can actually at least read the numbers. That's what I, I like about it as much as anything. It's a cool looking car. Um, but there's plenty to, to, to dive into with Mercedes. I think with first, before we get into the world champion, Lewis Hamilton, we get into Valtteri Botas. There's questions whether Botas will be kept for 2021 um, with a flat rules package. You're not going to make any adjustments really to the rules for 21 before they make a new car in 22. Um, Botas, there's talk whether it's George Russell, whether it's Ocon, you know, there's other people. Vettel might be in play there, but the thing with Botas is they've they've been saying that he's in a he's more focused and he's in a better place than he's ever been. So the question I have for you, Josh, is it are we lining up right here when you consider Red Bull and Ferrari are bringing their young hotshot guys and they're trying to go and beat Lewis Hamilton? Are we going to have a have a, a mirror image? Are we going to have a replay of 2016? Or is it just, you know, Valtteri Bottas will win his races, he'll make his points, but he's going to show that, yeah, he's good, but he's not Lewis Hamilton good. Yeah, actually, I do think we'll see something like 2016. You know, Valtteri Bottas has been um, kind of that second fiddle, and, you know, he's, like you said, he's been good, but not quite elite of a, of a driver, but... Now, you know, with the extra time that we've had off with uh, COVID, you know, he seems like he's more focused now and, and um, you know, he's able to really uh, just take a, you know, different approach and help um, become more focused and, you know, certainly become more improved physically and mentally. Um, and, you know, he t- did talk about last year saying that he has a, secret plan i guess to beat yeah. <laughs> uh for, um hamilton this season um but i think i think we'll see that certainly come to play as well and with you know he has a impending free agency coming uh next season i think the pressure is definitely on for him to perform so i think with all that factoring in i'm uh confident that he'll uh challenge lewis hamilton for the title and um possibly even win the title kind of like uh, what Nico Rosberg did in uh, 2016. Yeah. Which wouldn't, which would be, I guess, counter productive in the sense that their immediate job, their first job uh, is to win the constructors championship. That's the edict that they have from Toto Wolf, the team principal there. And he, and that's another person, Toto Wolf, who we don't know what he's going to be doing or where he's going or what his deal is. You know, his wife, Susie uh, Wolf Stoddard, she owns the a team in Formula E. Uh, she, she's, uh, they, they may be moving their money over to another effort. You know, there's all kinds of things going on. There's a lot there. And Mercedes at times has not shown, like Ferrari, an ability and virtually I think any team, big team, 
in Formula One history, even going back to Ron Dennis and McLaren, when you have two alpha type drivers, you can't manage that in a way that it's not going to end up without somebody crashing into the other or there being a real problem. Uh, they want to win the constructors championship. And when you consider how tight things are going to be, the less, the limited amount of races are going to have is not going to be 22 races or 23 or however much you're freaking have there. They'll be lucky to have 16 as they had for many years. You have to maximize every point. And if Botas, he's always been considered one of the more talented, better talented drivers. If he goes out there and he can put one on Lewis Hamilton, you know, Lewis is going to come at him. They could end up going into each other and that'll go and open the door for, for Max, for Charles, for whoever. And that's going to be a problem. That's something that we have to watch and see. I, it's not going to be as acrimonious because at the end of the day, Valtteri Botas is not a douche like, um, Nico Rosberg, and he's not an, an arrogant prick. Uh, fundamentally, Valtteri Botas has a very um, high value in terms of his own standing, like self confidence. But he's not, and he's not so arrogant and full of himself that he thinks he's better than Lewis Hamilton. He thinks he's better than Lewis Hamilton in a sense of confidence and focusing towards winning. But I think deep down inside, when you get him and Mika Hakkinen and whoever and Kimi while they're sitting there sipping their their um, a vodka, they know that Lewis is better. Um, and it is what it is. It's the same way as Mika Hakkinen knew that Schumacher was better. It's it, there's nothing wrong with that. You know you can win. And will it get to blows or will it get to being a problem? We will see. Um, it gets to, to, to finish this before we get into the, the Austrian Grand Prix preview. We talk about Lewis Hamilton, full disclosure. He's my favorite driver. He's been my favorite driver going back to formula two. And he has for many years, I had to watch Michael Schumacher bore everybody and win every race and win every pole. And it sucked. And now I'm on the good side of that. So for the people who don't like it, F you. Um, I had to deal with it for 15 years or 10 years or whatever it was. It felt like 15 years. Um, the The question is uh, this for, for you, Josh. What does Lewis Hamilton have to do to tie Michael Schumacher this year, not only get his seventh, World Drivers Championship, which would tie Michael Schumacher, but 93, get to that number, 93 wins, which is the all-time record in Formula One history for wins. Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. He's got to go out and win. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, he's definitely, all that is certainly possible, and in order to win the championship, you have to win more often races more often than you don't win and certainly to reach that um 93 wins he's going to have to win a lot of races this year but you know he's got to be focused and he's got a lot of competition with Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen and Leclerc all chomping at the bit to try to challenge him and even Vettel too uh if that's a possibility 
but with you know, I think with Lewis Hamilton trying to be more active in in racial and social justice, I wonder if uh, that'll um, maybe take away a little bit of his focus. I hope not, but certainly that's something you have to think about. Yeah, that's the, the that that point right there about uh, that you made, Josh, about his. That's always been a thing when he was at McLaren and his outside activities banging out, you know, Nicole Scherzinger and other hot babes and insert model here that he was or actress or musician that he was connected to. And people said that affected his ability to compete. Then, you know, you talk about now we have the social justice side and him incorporating that within the Mercedes deal. And now they're going to run a black car and all that. And there's plenty of idiots that are going to freak out about it. And frankly, yeah, better things to worry about than the black car, but whatever. Um, you consider the, will his focus be there? Fundamentally, I think he, he said it, you know, Daniel Ricardo, Daniel Ricardo has said it. A few other guys have said that this period of time, this having COVID-19 happen the way it did and having this extra downtime has been a rejuvenating thing for them to where it may have extended their career. And for somebody like Lewis, who's, you know, uh, only a few years, only a few weeks older than I am at 35, uh, he, he wants to race until he's 40. And I, and it, in a very, it's a very high likelihood that he's going to be doing it in a Mercedes and they're going to be ready for 2022 to compete and do what they have to do to continue winning world championships as uh, he's been doing. I, I look at the stats here since this new formula, mo- the engine has come along. He hasn't had less than he's had nine wins or more every single year. He's only had one year. It was 17. He had nine wins. Otherwise, he's had double digit wins every year. He needs nine wins to tie Michael Schumacher uh, for 93, the all time wins record. Of course, right now, I think they only have about they only have eight races and then there might be some other things going on. Is he going to win every race? I have a hard time believing when you consider the pressure coming along with some of these young guns that he's going to be able to do that. The poll, the poll numbers prove that as well, because he's been he was double digits for four years in a row. And then last year only got five. Uh, The podium numbers is key. Uh, 17 podiums in four of the last five years. 16 or more in five out of six. That's how you win a world championship. That's where Lewis is going to be able to get you. And the Mercedes team is going to be able to get you um, over other uh, teams. So we've been talking about COVID-19 and different areas, different aspects, you know, social justice, all that. But um, there's restrictions, limits on how many people are going to be on at track, at the track, ha- uh, people working on the cars, different um, longer days, longer nights. How will how do you think, Josh, how will it be for these teams and will it? 
Will it favor some of the smaller efforts because it's, they already know that they're not working with as many people on the road to be able to manage this uh, this dynamic with COVID-19 at the racetrack? I think it's certainly possible, yeah, because with smaller teams, you know, you already they already kind of know what they have to do with a smaller amount of people, and it requires them to be more, I guess, efficient and more self-sufficient uh, uh, as a as a team overall group. But then again, you know, the top teams like uh, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, even like McLaren, certainly they'll uh, they'll already adapt to it quickly if they haven't already given the extra time and we had all the time to go out and uh, plan what they uh, need to do. And it's just a matter of executing. But certainly that will be something to um, pay attention to going forward as we uh, go on this shortened season. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see who, it, how the testing process and the distancing and their, the podium ceremony, the opening ceremonies, all the things that people know about, like uh, when you consider uh, Martin Brundle's Gridwalk is is famous and everyone they stole they've stolen the grid walk from martin brundle and they brought it to america um and it's goofier way goofier here than it is in formula in formula one with brundle how all that will be i'm I'm curious to see what formula one looks like in terms of covid relative to nascar other series um i guess uh before we move on who do you uh, look for for the poll uh, this weekend and the win, Josh? And, uh, and I'll give my picks. Oh, I'll just be quite honest with you. I think it'll be Lewis Hamilton for both. Well, that's that's short and simple. And personally, I like that. Um, I think that um, it'll be Max or Stoppen. He'll get the poll and he'll get the win. It'll make me nauseous. It's making me kind of nauseous saying that right now. But um, I think right now Lewis Hamilton will get a podium finish. The Mercedes team will be in a better position than they've been the last couple of years there. They have one there, but it's not been their best track. They had uh, ventilation issues, uh, heating issues, uh, overheating issues the last couple of years there. So I'm curious to see what Mercedes brings there. Ferrari is going to be a little bit on the back foot. Uh, watch for the Racing Point and McLaren teams. To even though McLaren just uh, got an influx of cash, they're saying there's some rumors about their um, viability. Watch for those two teams to kind of maybe um, mess around, might sneak a podium, top five finish for um, this first race here at uh, the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, we'll go to the Grand Prix at Indianapolis, the Indy Grand Prix, the GMR Grand Prix. Uh, going back to Texas, where Ganassi and Scott Dixon, the legend, uh, won his first race as a his son. First race with his son. He's won two races this year. He's been in two races this year. He won the Rolex 24. He did the Jeff Gordon. I think he did one stint or or whatever, two stints minimum, and got the Rolex uh, with the uh, 10 
the Konica Minolta team, and then he won at Texas after Felix Rosenquist uh, wiped himself out trying to lap James Hinchcliffe at uh, that dump. So it's the first road course of the year, Josh, and it's a race that Pagano and and Power have won on on regular. But what do you look for uh, this weekend? Uh, do do we see Scott Dixon or Felix Rosenquist, who's just keeps on making making steady improvements? Will he be able to come through? Will Ganassi continue their trend, or will it be Penske? Who do you look for here uh, this weekend at uh, Indianapolis? Well, I think Penske is certainly, or sorry, I meant to say Ganassi. Uh, Ganassi will be a factor. I think more so Scott Dixon. He's been the certainly dominant on both ovals and road courses, and, and I would expect that to continue. But I think maybe we might see uh, Penske and Will Power, like you said, and, and Simon Pagano, possibly maybe even Joseph Newgarden as well. Uh, he's had a couple of road course wins on the circuit in the last couple of years since he came to Penske. So I, I think maybe all those guys are guys they have to consider that will um, – uh, either lead a majority of the race or or they'll get a top five or a podium potentially. But I think it, it'll be one of those guys will probably end up being the race winners. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you brought up Newgarden. He led 20 laps last year in the race. Dixon led the most laps. It was a wet, dry race. Uh, he was coming at the end, and uh, Pagano held on, and which ended up being one of the best months of Simon Pagano's life. He won the Indy Grand Prix, won the pole for the Indianapolis 500, and won the Indianapolis 500. So Dixon, it's one of the few races he hasn't won on the IndyCar circuit, so it'll be interesting to see that. Penske has won. Penske has won all but one of the races at the Indy Grand Prix. Pagano, of course, won the original uh, Indy Grand Prix when he was driving for Sam Schmidt, whatever the hell they were named at that point. So uh, it's a it's a race where only two drivers have won in the six races that they've had. Um, Pagano and Will Power both with three. So it and it'll also be the first half of a doubleheader with the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And we'll get into that in a little more detail later on. Um, is I think the next question would be: It's like how when we t- talk about NASCAR, and and I, I was going to say that later on, but when it comes to the scheduling, now that we have Cup is going to be there with the Brickyard 400 and Roger Penske, of course, owns Indianapolis and all these things. But is this going to be a trend? Is this going to be a regular thing? Are we going to have IndyCar and NASCAR um, double headers more often? Are we going to have them more regularly now that 2021 comes along? I think it's certainly possible now, given the state of NASCAR uh, with some of their attendance was that they've had the last decade and a half and even with IndyCar 
being on a, a little bit of a smaller scale, even though they still kind of have good attendance at their road courses and some of their, um, well, in the Indianapolis 500, they kind of struggle at the, uh, at the oval tracks with their attendance. So I, I think we'll see where, where it's possible. Uh, you know, Texas in the future is probably, they've already had the truck series and the IndyCar series do kind of a double hitter there. Maybe potentially we'll see the IndyCar races and uh, maybe Cup or Xfinity do a doubleheader at Texas, and if and I think that's probably the only oval where that'll happen because they're you know they won't do Indianapolis 500 and Cup on the same weekend at Indy. That would never happen, but possibly maybe it, uh, if you know the IndyCar series were were to go to a, another road course where this is possible, and I think um, that maybe puts in the question whether they put in the Charlotte Roval if uh, they want to go in that direction. And maybe that'll be another way that they'll get uh, more doubleheaders with IndyCar and, and Cup or Xfinity going forward. Yeah, there's there's options. You look at, I mean, they say Road America is a little, I mean, Road Atlanta is a little too dangerous uh, for IndyCar. I, I mean, it, it, you could go and we could go and quibble on that. Uh, they could do some things. There's money there. Uh, IMSA's there. They could make some changes and they could run Xfinity and they could run IndyCar. Virginia International Raceway is another one that could be something that they could do for IndyCar and uh, NASCAR. You look at Road America's on deck, it looks like for a cup date. That would be the prime. Uh, place I think for an IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader uh, they would have an IndyCar race they would have a, an Xfinity race like early in the morning, mid-morning and then they'd have the IndyCar race which would be a 200 miler and then they'd have a 175 mile cup race or whatever the heck it would be um, that would be something on a that would be a and then you'd put another series there i think earlier in the day and then run a uh, run a cup race on sunday um i it's i think the with nascar and how they're run indycar and where they're at with roger penske at the helm it's more likely and it's probably better for both uh organizations going forward um Talking about big races, talking about getting people there to the races, uh, recent uh, announcements have come out where uh, Indianapolis is going to run, they're going to run the Indy 500 for all intents and purposes, it's going to be August, uh, August 23rd, and they're going to run at 50% uh, attendance with, uh, of course, with how big, how huge they always do. Every every year, whether it is ABC or now NBC, they show you what you can fit within the confines of Indianapolis Motor Speedway and all the grandstands, like 200,000-plus um, grandstand seats that they have there. They'll be able to social distance. There's been a lot of talk about whether you, you want to or not, whether you want to defer to 21, all this. But... Um, the question you brought up, and I, I mean, it's 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 a great question. Is it 
too many fans, Josh. To, is is a hundred what amounts to I guess a hundred and thirty thousand? We'll just say for for argument's sake, a hundred and forty, fifty maybe on the high end thousand fans. Is that too much given where we're at with the management of uh, COVID nineteen? I'm yeah, it's certainly possible and. You know, the one thing that we have to consider with Indianapolis is just the um, the amount of seats that it can hold. Because, you know, we look at how the Brickyard 400 over the years has uh, retracted in terms of attendance and how it you know, used to be the largest uh, attending race on the circuit. And now, numbers-wise, it's it's fallen down, but it's still decent for other tracks, say, like, like Darlington or um, uh, Martinsville or something like that. But still, though, that, I mean, 80,000 at Indianapolis looks like 20,000 at another racetrack or, or you know, a, even like an NFL game that um, is sparsely attended um, in some cities. But uh, one of the things they have to, you know, consider, given that the amount of size, uh, wonder, like, are they going to be enforcing uh, distance between fans? Like if, if uh, you know, if you're obviously if you're a family, you can sit together. But um, if you're by yourself, or or other people that are by themselves, would they just be required to uh, sit like at least six feet or greater apart? And would they, you know, are they going to be enforcing mask policy? Are they going to require masks uh, to be worn at all times at the racetrack? or in the, in the stands and, and, you know, will, will they do temperature checks and things like that to make sure, um, that at least going in, uh, people are good and that there isn't like somebody that could be contagious. And, and I think those are all things they have to consider. Um, and given the fact that even, uh, in small parties, the COVID is, uh, spread and people have been tested positive for the virus and, regardless if they've had symptoms, you know, it affects everybody differently. So I, I wonder if maybe that, you know, maybe too many people. And, you know, you think about how NASCAR right now, they've, you know, they just had 5k at Talladega a week ago. And I think, you know, they, they may have more fans coming, uh, going forward, but, you know, even with, um, uh, with, uh, blanking IMSA at Daytona, they yeah, have five yeah. fans or 5,000 fans. So, you wonder just like if if that 150,000 number was kind of projected based on what they thought the the virus would look like in a couple months but you know it's too early to tell i think yeah i mean i'm just spitballing based on you know they everyone talks about indy you talk about 250,000 permanent seats or thereabouts and then you they say 300,000 people so it's a single the Indianapolis 500 is the is the highest attended single day sporting event that there is, and it's Roger Penske's baby. It's his. It's the track that he owned well before last December when he actually owned it. He bought it. Um, it's going to be something, but if they're I'm with all that's going on in our society. We went over that last week with some of the stuff that's going on in society. 
um, you know, when you consider coronavirus and all this, if there's one person that I would trust to handle this in a way that would keep people safe and make the race actually happen, it's Roger Penske. Um, I don't know how many people are actually going to show up. Uh, if I, I would say it would be on a higher number than a lower based on Indiana. But we will find out. We'll see. And, and we, I think with IndyCar, they, now that this race is going to happen on Saturday, they're going to actually start going. Their momentum is going to start going. They're going to be on virtually every week. Formula One's going to be on. We're going to get into a real uh, momentum. We're going to have a lot to talk about here. And there's going to be a lot of racing, so it's going to be good. We don't have to talk about, you know, illness and bad and negative, and we'll be able to focus on the good here. So um, we will see what happens at Indianapolis and the Indy GP and uh, how that all looks and who who's able to and I guess um, we'll end this with uh, who do you look for uh, as uh, somebody to um, as a win and a wild card to win uh, on uh, Saturday uh, I'm gonna go with willpower on uh, as the winner and I think maybe as a wild card, hmm, uh, I think we'll see um, maybe Felix Rosenquist as a wild card. Uh, yeah, well, there that I pick Simon Pagano in my picks group uh, that I, that I'm in to uh, win so or get a get a place. So I I who I picked in the first race finish. I think I picked Sato at Texas and he didn't even race. So I'm dead last. I have no points. So I picked uh, Pagano. So we, one of us, if, if we are right, we'll end up uh, having four wins in the Indy Grand Prix in terms of a wild card. I'm going to go Zach Veach. Uh, Zach Veach is running uh, with uh, a new, newfound, um, relaxed uh, mentality, and uh, he had a horrible 2019. He showed up at Texas. He ran really well, and fundamentally, I think he's in a place where he wants to be able to make something happen. It would be a first win. It would be the first time a non... It would be the first Honda win since the first ever win there uh, with uh, Simon Pagano. And it, it would be a good uh, momentum shift in that a non, you know, big name gets a win there at uh, the Indy Grand Prix. And we will find out. We'll see what happens with that. Um from there, we're going to transition into NASCAR Pocono. Um, I was depressed, honestly, as I love going to Pocono. It's the closest race to my um, where I live in New Jersey. Uh, 
tailgating, going and diecast hunting, the whole bit. It's such a beautiful place. It's like being in a whole new world, different world out there. And uh, I definitely missed it. I felt it this weekend. Uh, and when they were racing at Pocono, you have the weather, of course, that always happens and the East Coast in the summer. And it was it was a interesting weekend. Uh, first, we'll talk about Cup. And uh, Kevin Harvick finally wins at Pocono. He had had six second-place finishes, finally gets a win on the Saturday after a little bit of after a rain delay that washed out the truck race. And then uh, Dennis Hamlin got the win on Sunday, racing against Darkness. Uh, we'll get a little more detail into the races, but the question I have for you, Josh, is like, are they the favorites? Is one ahead of the other uh, as a choice to be the championship favorite right now? Or are we dismissing somebody that isn't one of those two guys that won this weekend here at Pocono? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin, who should be uh, rightfully looked at as the championship favorites. And Harvick, you know, he's been slightly more consistent, I think. You know, he's got more top tens, and uh, um, you know, he's finished a little bit better than in some of the races uh, than Hamlin. But Denny Hamlin has the wins to match it, and I think going forward, I think it'll it'll be a battle between those guys, and it'll we'll see uh, how that plays out throughout the rest of the so-called regular season and and how that plays out in the chase um, and think maybe uh, somebody that could challenge him is um, possibly one of the Penske cars. I think it'll probably be uh, Ryan Blaney or Brad Keselowski that challenge. I've seen uh, Brad Keselowski has also been fairly consistent since the return of the season. Uh, Ryan Blaney won last week at Talladega uh, or the previous week at Talladega and has uh certainly been up front for the majority of these races. So I think those guys are some, uh, some other guys to watch um, in the con- contention for the championship and even maybe Joey, Joey Logano, but it seems like he's starting to fall off now the uh, last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think Joey, I mean, that's the thing about Penske. You, yeah. Joey Logano at the start of the year, he came out like a bat out of hell and he won two races, and then everything shut down. And post-COVID return, he's had his flashes, but hasn't had the results, and he's had some bad finishes. Then you have Brad, who doesn't... Adam Stern came out and said he hasn't been offered a contract. People are saying, a lot of people, there's a lot of rumors that he's going to go and drive the 48 car. And... He goes out and he uses, you know, whatever, good luck and good fortune. And he's been able to go and win two races with his with his organ, with his team, with his brand new situation. You have Ryan Blaney, who's as consistent as he's ever been in his cup career. And he, you know, he didn't have a great the greatest weekend at Pocono where he won his first race, where he won the Wood Brothers 99th Cup win in 2017. Uh, That was a great weekend. Brad won on Saturday and Blaney won on Sunday. That was a great weekend. 
uh, personally. But you know, when when it comes to that team, they're on and off, on and off. That they're all up there. But it, it right now it it starts and ends with Kevin Harvick and Hamlin. Hamlin did a similar thing last year. He'd have a couple of off races, go win a race. And he's won four races this year. It, I mean, Homestead was kind of a, a throw. To me, it's like, yeah, it's the first time he's been to Homestead. He actually won, but that's kind of because there was no pressure on him. Darlington was just timing that he he was up there with no one old tires. He ran out of tires and there was a little bit of luck involved there. Daytona, he won it on merit. He won this race on, on merit, uh, at, uh, at Pocono Homestead. You can, I guess it's a, it's a 50, 50, but Hamlin's never won a championship. He's won over 40 races. You wonder when he's going to finally come through. Um, that's we, we could just, we could see really, um, what, what Denny Hamlin can do here in this, uh, spot. Um, one thing that played into the weekend, which is something that happens at Poc- everyone complains about it for Pocono, but I think it's become more obvious in general with NASCAR, um, rain, uh, and weather delays. You brought up a good point there, Josh, and it's like, are we going to see earlier start times or what are, what can be done? What can we do in terms of, um, putting ourselves in a better position so that we're not sitting in rain delays every freaking week? Yeah, I mean, certainly they should be aiming for uh, earlier start times. And I can't remember where I saw it, but I remember seeing about, like, nine of the races so far this season have all been affected by weather in some way, whether it was delayed later into the day or uh, got delayed into the next day. And, you know, like, I'll give you an example, like the Daytona 500, they – yeah. We had a lot of sunshine leading up to like three o'clock when they decided to wave the green flag and then it started raining. And it's like, you know, we could have started at least two hours earlier, even three hours earlier. And we wouldn't have really had that problem, you know, and going to Pocono now, it seems like, you know, yeah, Pocono does have rain. It has a history with the weather, but they could have at least tried to uh, put, you know, cup earlier at least. Uh, you know, maybe have Cup be the feature and then play the or race the trucks or the Xfinity series uh, afterwards. And I think that actually, in theory, would work better because when you have the Cup being the main show, if people are going to watch that on TV, and then when that's over, then potentially they'll have more people that stay over for the uh, truck or the Xfinity race. Of course, so this weekend, if the Cup had had raced earlier, we probably wouldn't have seen uh, the cup race because the truck race um, went on the earlier time. That got rained out and put on Sunday for the, the triple header. But in theory, though, I think cup should at least you know be the um, earlier start time and at least be the first show of the day. Yeah, that's when that's that's something. The earlier start times. I the one thing I thought about 
Josh, is I'm like, Formula One for years has been a forever. It was 7.30, they'd go and do their pre-race. They'd go in 7.30 East Coast, Eastern Standard Time. You'd wake up on whatever channel it was. And they'd have their pre-race, they'd have the the little, the, they'd drive, they'd have their warm-up, and they'd do their um, installation lap, and they'd drive to the grid. And at 8 o'clock, they'd go off, and they'd run their, their warm-up lap, and you'd be ready, and every it would be packaged in a three-hour format. 7.30, 10.30, you knew that you were going to get a race in. Whatever the weather, maybe it would go and extend out a little bit if it was, like, extreme or they had to do a full restart, stuff like that. Formula One's been doing that for decades. IndyCar is able to do that with their races because generally they do their races in a two-hour format. They try to put themselves in a tighter windows on on network tv it doesn't usually work out uh nascar i don't know what their deal is they 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 don't know what what their identity is they want to identify with with both sides of the aisle and take on social justice things and they want to promote other things and they want to go and run races in the ass crack of dawn, but then they'll run it in to the point where we're going to have sunset. If I was a fan this week and they actually ran that race at four o'clock in the afternoon, I'd have been gone already. I'd have won. I would have watched a truck race. I'd have watched the Xfinity race and I'd have been on the road and I'd have been listening to it on the radio. I'm not sitting there so that I can sit in traffic at, at eight, if you're trying to leave at eight o'clock in the evening and you have to work the next day, that's just idiotic. I mean, there's it's not a good look. You could say, oh, weather played a role in it. You make you you insist on putting races on so late because you you want the West Coast audience. It's like I don't know what analytics they have or what they're looking at, or what they think they're going for, you're basically getting the same kind of numbers here for a while. I don't know if it's you get better in L.A., or but you didn't have to, for decades, you didn't have to placate L.A. and the West Coast, and you were able to draw. Um, I don't know why putting races later, especially when they're on cable. Like if you're putting them on later and you're putting it on network TV, it makes it, there's some explanation because there's a higher likelihood of getting more people in the whole bullshit at Daytona for the 500. We know why they delayed it. They could have run the race. They could have ran in most years when it used to be at a normal time, the race would have been three quarters done or mostly done, but they had to have a convention during the Daytona 500 drove around, did 10 laps and then they rained the race out. Like they would have had the race in most races, most years prior to like whatever 
15 years ago when they decided that we need to start the race at 3.30 in the afternoon, which is stupid. The, the, there's very few things in sport that should be started that late. And even you can make an argument about uh, at least one of those things, which is a Super Bowl. They do bullshit for hours leading up to the game, and then there's two weeks of lead up on top of it. It's the same thing with the Daytona 500. So, I mean, there the, later start times doesn't help attend doesn't help attendance. It doesn't help. It doesn't help uh, TV audience. Earlier is better. You go and have people coming from church. They go and watch a race at 12, 30, 1 o'clock. They get to watch a race. Then they get to do something with their family. They get to have their dinner. It's all good. Earlier start times actually allows people who are on the road to get home sooner and be able to spend more time with their families. It, it It's common sense. But as we talked about last week here and in general, um, common sense and NASCAR don't really fit together, I guess. Um, you know, Lee, it's something to be said, and you know, it's it's a it's a fundamental problem, I think, in society. Um, we're talking about the racing itself. Shorter races this weekend. At Pocono, usually there'd be two 400-mile races 10 weeks apart. They ran a 325-mile race on Saturday and 350 on Sunday. Probably should have done it the other way around. Um, but I'm sure that they'll fix that for next year. Uh, the strategy was definitely interesting, uh, Josh. And we, um, you talked about the strategy call that... Uh, What's his face uh, for Chris for Gabe. the Gabehart went and did yep and he he did on on Sunday which helped uh, Hamlin he went and ran really long and he knew and I think Gabehart knew that they were not going to throw a yellow uh, at that point because of all the weather and all the cautions they had had all day. And so he's like, all right, let's run us out long. Let's go and run some fast laps. And that helped him. And in the same token, on Saturday, Eric Almarola had the pole and he led the most laps. But Rodney Childers sat there and said, hey, we don't have tire fall off. We'll take two. Almarola needed to take four. He lost he lost time not only on pit road, but then on the outlaps to the point where by the time his tires came in, he was so far behind and in traffic it didn't matter. So it's like I guess the question is like especially going to Indianapolis this weekend, which is similar to Pocono in terms of strategies. Are we going to see similar calls like this, Josh? And um, you know the type of racing we saw relative to what we're used to or what we we would kind of want to see uh, with the 550 rules package. Uh, uh, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was an interesting strategy for sure. We, cause like 
everybody, I think on Sunday it was everybody wasn't sure if the race was actually going to get finished uh, before the darkness came. And I think that was like a factor that played into Hamlin's uh, strategy that they that they went with because uh, they they were going to try to just stay out as long as possible and and just get out try to just get out as far as they they could and and make sure that they um had enough of a buffer um that they could either catch back up to whoever passed them or they'd be able to uh maintain after that uh, on the outlap uh but i think i think possibly like going forward uh here on sunday i think depending on how the race falls we may see something like that and it's almost kind of similar to the road course strategy that they've uh talked about for years where they kind of uh work backward so to uh, speak and they you know they they try to um make sure that they can uh, fill up their fuel for uh the next stint um or not for the next stint but that that they make sure that they can end the race without needing to make a pit stop and and so I think we might see something like that play out uh, possibly at Indianapolis. But on the other hand, though, at least in the last couple of years, uh, Indianapolis like seems like the uh, first half of the race is pretty monotone and there's not a lot going on. But then what about the second half of the race? It seems like um, the drivers seem to be more uh, more reckless and there's a little bit more wrecks. And so I think maybe that might not come into factor in Indianapolis, but we may see it maybe other tracks, uh, potentially where mile and a half, say like Kentucky or even like Las Vegas, maybe we'll see something uh, similar like we saw at Pocono in terms of strategy. Yeah, the the Brickyard 400, you never know what you're going to have. You, have. you could have tire issues because it's Indianapolis and also because bad year makes a bad product. You could also have a complete snooze fest. The the stages kind of assist in terms of a reset. So for that, I guess for tracks like Indianapolis, the the uh, stage racing actually is a good thing. I would say that you know the Pocono strategy of running it backwards fits if you're in certain places within the field and we'll see they're going to run late uh, on Sunday afternoon it'll be on NBC this week uh, before they'll then they're going to hand back off to Fox for three more weeks and then NBC will take over the rest of the season um, Indianapolis will be there they'll run the double header It'll be interesting to see. I think a lot of what we saw over the two days at Pocono will kind of be similar, which means the guys we talked about in terms of the favorites will be up there. The Harvicks and Hamlins. Harvick's a, a two-time winner of the Brickyard 400, and he won last year. Hamlin has never won the Brickyard 400. He lost the Brickyard 400 uh, late to Brad Keselowski a couple of years ago, uh, Kyle Busch. And that's what I'm going to ask now. Uh, Kyle Busch has had a relatively rough season for him. I mean, granted, he's a 
two-time series champion. He's won in multiple truck races, and he's won Xfinity race, and he's been up there. They they played it up on TV this weekend where he's like, oh, we don't have practice, so it's affecting us. Um, he's 11th in points. He has seven top five finishes, so uh, there's only... I mean, he's tied for third in terms of number of top five finishes. He has eight top tens, which is nowhere nowhere near the highest, but is pretty much up there. But he's 11th in points. He has eight top tens, seven top fives. So it's a, it, it, Kyle Busch is an all-or-nothing kind of guy right now. He's only won one race in the last 36 races. Or something like that. Like, in the last year, he's only won one race. And, of course, the one race he won was Homestead to win the championship. Does, would a win at Indy fix everything for Kyle Busch? And what is going on there? Do we do we really know what's really going on with Kyle Busch? Uh, it's a tough question to answer, really. Because, on one hand, it seems like, yeah, he's... If he wasn't leading, like, he's been at least top 10, top 5. But then at the end of the races, it seems like something happens to him and doesn't get the finish he quite wants. And even look at just the uh, previous race here at Pocono. Like, on Saturday, he finished 5th. And then on Sunday, like, he was uh, definitely looking like he um, could be a, a top 5 or a top 3 finish, possibly. But then, I guess... It seems like he got a little bit caught up in traffic, and then he got wrecked by uh, Ryan Blaney, and that caused him to finish poorly there. Um, so it just seems like it's a mixture of uh, poor luck and and just not being at the right place at the right time uh, for Kyle Busch. But, yeah, I mean, definitely a, a win could certainly help put them back on the right track. And, you know, Indianapolis is... Uh, there aren't really as many similar tracks as in Indianapolis left on the schedule. I mean, normally we would say it's Pocono, but we've already done Pocono now. So it seems like that's, you know, not, it wouldn't correlate to any other tracks, but possibly maybe, you know, give them, you know, the so-called momentum and going forward, maybe they'll, you know, get that monkey off their back and, um, finish better and, and win more races, but it's such an unknown too. Um, and yeah, you bring up the point of, um, other than winning the championship race, he's only, um, he hasn't won anything. And so I think maybe that's definitely a concern too. And w one other thing is, you know, they mentioned on the broadcast, uh, uh, the lack of practice seems to have hurt Kyle Busch as well. And, and even if he's run a couple of the Xfinity or truck races, um, you know, he just doesn't have the amount of track time that he did previously. Yeah, when you go and talk about practice, when we're talking about practice, I would sound like Alan Iverson. <laughs> it, and and when, when it comes to Kyle Busch, I don't really feel so bad for him, and it's not just because of what I think of him as a person. The reality is that him and Adam Stevens, since 2015, when he came back from his uh, leg injury, they have set a very high bar 
um, for for coming through and productivity, uh, whether practice or no practice. Uh, he got a waiver and won a bunch of races and got into the playoff and won that championship in 15. And then people question him about, oh, you didn't run the whole season. Oh, whatever. You got a waiver. Then last year, he did a lot of winning early in the year, won a lot of stages, got got the, the playoff points, basically got him through all the way to Homestead. And it took Denny Hamlin um, crapping himself and Gabe Hart making him an error and uh, Martin Truex have leaving the that team leaving a left rear tire loose when he dominated the first half of the race at Homestead, which was the last race for Cole Perrin. And he ended up winning that championship because his two teammates effed up, basically. Um, everyone who's a Kyle Busch fan, God bless you, whatever you probably need to be put in a rubber room but the the thing is people can question the viability of how good of those championships were you know him having to earn it he did a good job early in the season won a lot of stages won races and then just mailed it in and it's it's similar to it it kind of goes back to the whole full season point standings thing and people whined about that. Kyle Bush did the same thing. He wasn't all that good in the second half of the year and he had a, he had earned enough merit and he'd done a lot enough early in the season to protect himself to get him to the point where he was in a position and then in the second half of the race at Homestead he won. Can he go out there at Indianapolis win his I think third or fourth race at at Indianapolis, probably it's Kyle Busch. I mean, that MF or wins wherever um, he, he he figures out ways to win at race racetracks that you know you wouldn't even think that he would win at. You know, like it's it, if he goes and wins at Indy this weekend, it wouldn't shock me at all. Um, I think it would. It wouldn't fix the problems that he he's had recently, but I think in the grand scheme of things, he'd become a three-time winner of the Brickyard 400. He'd pass Tony Stewart. He's tied with Tony Stewart, uh, you know. But it would it would give him the the ability to kind of go and. R and D, which is what, which with this playoff format, the way it is, if you win a race, you can do R and D, get yourself ready for the playoffs and put yourself in a position to go and, uh, get deeper in the playoffs. So then you go and take some risks, go and try to go, uh, go and try and get stage wins, stage points and go and, and be ready for now Phoenix, which is a track that he's 
another track i mean is there i mean that's fundamentally we we can ask that is there such a thing as a bad track for kyle bush i mean there really isn't so we will see what kyle bush will do uh we can go and transition to the pocono green 225 xfinity race there were three races on sunday truck race which i we will talk about next week in more detail since they'll they'll be running at kentucky the xfinity race in the middle of the day which was scheduled and then the cup the second cup race at pocono the xfinity race at pocono uh god bless them it was a demo derby but chase briscoe ends up winning and uh, it's his fourth win of the year. He said that he needs to win eight to ten races to have a career or save his career. There's a lot of guys in the Xfinity series that could say that. He's one of them. Um, Ford performance or Ford has got his back, which I think kind of gives him a little more viability. Um, I guess... I guess I'll go and send it to you, Josh. I mean, you you wrote it. Uh, What do we think about Chase Briscoe here and what he's done so far in uh, 2020? Yeah, I mean, it's the Chase Briscoe show. Um, He's had races where he was the dominant car and won the race outright. And he's had races, especially like the last two races that he won where he didn't really have the best car throughout the entire race but when the opportunity came he was able to put himself in position and, and take that opportunity and to me that shows you know he has definitely has the uh fortitude to you know go out and uh, win these races he has the the focus he has uh the just just that outright ability to put the car where he wants it to um, be on the racetrack. And he you know, definitely also has a good crew chief uh, behind him to help set up some of the um, strategy calls and put him in, in those positions to win these races. So I, I think definitely he is should be viewed as the title favorite going forward. And it's just a matter of time just to see how that plays out. Uh, here in this series yeah there's i mean for for chase he's trying to race for a cup ride um the the work that he's done this year i mean obviously him and marissa losing their baby uh having miscarriage and then him going out at darlington and beating kyle bush heads up um, in a rain delayed race and going and doing what he did. Uh, that was a, that was a real, um, statement. Every, anybody that can go and beat Kyle Bush on merit and in an Xfinity car where he's won like eight trillion races is, it says something. So, He's won four races. He's got the points lead. It was definitely a demolition derby, to say the least, at 
at uh, Pocono, but he went out there. He had to battle. He cut a Badger tire while leading. He had the race won. Cut a cut a tire. Spins out. Caution. He goes and comes back from on restart, eleventh or twelfth. Comes up to the front. Battles no uh, Ross Chastain and beats him there. It, it's he's got the points lead. He's got. Uh, the most playoff points. He's got a seven-point lead in playoff points on Noah Gregson and a three-point lead in the actual standings. So, I mean, for him, for Chase Briscoe, uh, full bias aside, for me, he's running for a championship. They have a good team. Um, Unlike Unlike Cole Custer, I think Chase Briscoe actually has the potential and the ability not only to win the championship, but to do something in a cup car. And uh, Tony Stewart has to make that decision. Is he going to go and put his protege? Is he going to put the guy who looked up to him in the 14 car? Is he going to give a guy who actually has the potential to be the second coming? in there or is he gonna go and do whatever put Clint keep Clint Boyer there or go and make the 10 car keep the 10 car the way it is with Eric Elmerola who god bless him he's a good driver but there's better and you can go and convince Smithfield that you could do better with Kyle Larson and uh, you'd have your the best of both worlds there um, with that, uh, we can go and, I mean, when you look at the, the race itself, there was a lot of, there was a lot of carnage. There was a lot of carnage, both in the truck race and the Xfinity race. Uh, but you brought it up, Josh. It's like, what are, I, I think the question would be, what are, what do you look at as factors for a lot of the wrecking that we've seen not only on Sunday but in general in recent weeks well I think it's just you know it seems like to me it's a a lack of respect uh, between some of these drivers and you know Eric Jones pointed that out on on Sunday and we talked about the crashing with uh, I think Noah Gregson crash and the in front of the whole field and then the thing was egregious incident that I saw was uh, Justin Haley and Riley, uh, Riley Herbst uh, get into it on the front straightaway and it seems like Riley Herbst, maybe he got a little too close and got him loose and then um, Haley just wasn't even going to tolerate that and he just flat out wrecked him, which to me that was you know very reckless driving and um, um, that's not, I don't even know how to call that. That's um, even below a lack of respect. That's just complete idiocy. <laughs> but it seems like... He, you know, with a lot of the younger drivers being in the series and and with the way that NASCAR kind of pushes the truck series and Xfinity to be more younger and and be like sort of the, the minor leagues, I think this is what you're going to see. And there's not a, a whole lot of veteran drivers that can uh, show them the respect or, or teach them the respect that they need in order to 
uh, be successful and uh, have a, a long career in Cup or even just the Truck and Xfinity Series. So it seems like to me, like if they had that veteran presence, then maybe they wouldn't be as uh, as reckless and that they would maybe cut each other some slack. Um, and I think you know, just one of the factors is just I think the lack of quality depth across the uh, entire series of truck and Xfinity. You know, there there really isn't a whole lot of teams that are uh, successful on a, a yearly basis uh, in, in both of those series. And and even within those successful teams, like most of them are harboring talent for uh, that that will move up and they only have maybe one or two veteran drivers and and it's kind of a contrast to what we saw in kind of the peak i guess that you could say of the xfinity and the um the truck series and that those those uh you know early or the you know those better years were when when they had independent teams that weren't affiliated with cup and they had their own regular xfinity or regular truck drivers and and certainly another thing is I think with um, uh, you know the limit on the cup drivers, you know they yeah they they win the races when they're in the series, but at the same time like um, drivers have continually said that oh they learned a lot from racing Cobblish, they learned a lot from racing Tony Stewart, they learned a lot from racing against Danny Hamlin in those series, and I think when you kind of factor all that in, you see. Um, what you saw on Sunday with drivers just not giving a crap about each other and and things like that. So it's something to think about going forward, and and hopefully somebody in NASCAR kind of realizes that you know we need we need to have a, a better quality teams and certainly better quality drivers in that series. Yeah, I think I think some of the stuff that we saw on Sunday, not only in the the Xfinity race, truck race, uh, you could consider it be a little bit of over-aggressiveness, you know, lack of experience, probably pushing uh, limits where they didn't have to, uh, whether a cup driver, some of the cup driver uh, participation might have helped a little bit. I don't know. I, we could we could have that discussion further. Um, I, I don't mind the limits in terms of the Xfinity and the trucks. I get Kyle Busch in terms of he owns a team and he's and I mean fundamentally he has TRD assistance and he has factory help. He but he is funding his own truck team. So if somebody wanted to say, oh, he should be allowed to run as many races as he wants, sure, it's his truck team. God bless him. But if you're going to tell me he's going to be in a Joe Gibbs racing vehicle, you got to limit him to five races because, frankly, it's basically cheating because he can go and have Adam Stevens or he can have whoever. It's the same way as when Mark Martin did his thing in the Bush series with the Winn-Dixie Ford. He had his cup crew chief, he had his cup team there, and they won all the time. Nobody cared because Mark Martin's a nice guy. Everyone cares because Kyle Busch won every week, and he's an asshole. That's why, you know, they. that's one of the reasons why they made the change. Um, 
would it have changed the result? Yeah, if there was cup drivers there at Pocono on Sunday, they wouldn't have been, first of all, they wouldn't have had a cup drivers on Sunday at Pocono. So unless it was like a lower level guy, they wouldn't have had cover. If they had an Xfinity, if they had the Xfinity race on Saturday and there was no rain, then yeah. There would have been driver changes. But I consider some of the issues that we saw at Pocono to be NASCAR failing. Um, you know, they they have a habit of doing that. There was obvious oil on the racetrack, similar to Bobby Labonte, Hall of Famer Bobby Labonte, uh, oiling down the racetrack at Watkins Glen in 2012. They didn't do anything about it. The drivers are squirreling around all over the racetrack. They can't keep the car on on the line. Kyle Busch gets loose going into turn one, misses turn one. Brad Keselowski puts him in the fence in the S's, which made me happy. And then him and Marcus Ambrose have quite a battle to where Marcus Ambrose ends up winning his first career cup race. It was similar on Sunday. Brandon Brown oiled down the whole entire racetrack. He owned up to it. I don't know where the debris came from to put a hole the size of a freaking basketball in his oil tank. And he oiled down the whole entire racetrack. And NASCAR did nothing about it. Harrison Burton wrecks. All these other people wreck. You have spotters. Like, how the fuck do you let a race go on when there's oil all over the racetrack. I mean, come on. It's not even a, it's not even a, a COVID thing. This is a, this is a fundamental problem that NASCAR has. They will throw a caution for a napkin, but dude blows an engine and leaves everything out there leaves the whole guts and everything every the the bottom end it's like it's like when when you have nhra and you go and have an explosion and the whole bottom end of the engine when they go and do the replay that's what the re what the pictures look like a brandon brown's engine and you're telling me they didn't see any debris they didn't see nothing there's people freaking coming off turn one at Pocono and wiping out. Oh, crap. Oh, man. What the heck happened? Come on now. I mean, I don't know what you think, Josh, but to me, that's just idiotic. I, I mean, really, like, where where are we at? Like, I know you have a very good job. I'm looking for something. If you need a spotter, I'll be a spotter. Because if you're telling me you can't see oil or somebody blowing in the bottom end of an engine out, I'll 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 do it. I'll I'll go and be a cuck for NASCAR for the right price, <laughs> for for the right salary. I'll do it. But what? But how can you explain that, really? Yeah, it's I don't know. It's inexplicable. Inexplicable. But uh, you know, the I think just the what we saw on Saturday, I mean, I pointed out the lack of veteran presence and you point out the, 
NASCAR's incompetence, I think all of that just kind of factors into um, some of these races that we see, just um, everybody just kind of dropping the ball, really. Yeah, we we talked about it last week in detail during the first hour of the show with Chuck and, you know, how they're handling things and they don't have leadership or whatever their leadership is, they don't know what they want. Um, I mean, Pocono, they, they the, the, the people that run Pocono, it's one of the only independent tracks and you notice that because they put PJ1 the racing was better because of the PJ one, because they didn't apply it in a way that it affected things in a bad way. They took care of the people. They, they're as good to fans and they're as good to the people that show up to racetrack as any racetrack that there is. I say that both as a media person and as a fan, you know, you, you, the Pocono is a. It, there's a reason why Brandon Igdalski works for NASCAR now. He's one of the only people that has an open mind and understands things from a different perspe- perspective. And uh, they hired him. Why he brought Pocono from basically the dead back in 2011, 2012, and a lot of the positives that have come along have come because, you know, not, he wasn't there since 2012, but the last couple of years in with NASCAR and in general in with his running Pocono raceway and um, speaking of Brandon Igdalski is um, we, uh, Dr. Rose Mattioli, she uh, passed away. Um, give our uh, thoughts and condolences to the family here uh, and at this time uh, her and uh, Doc Mattioli uh, kept this racetrack going brought it to brought it to being and the passion they had for racing and everything between the IndyCar racing the NASCAR racing all the great races that we've had Pocono Raceway it wouldn't have been if it weren't for the Mattiolis and um, she's now up there with her husband and they can be together again. So it's a, it's sad day, but it's a good day for them. Um, When you go and look at uh, the, the quality of racing, we talk about it. The, the cup race was the, the Xfinity race was better than, the the cup race i think in general um what were your thoughts on that uh and but and also the depth of field and then uh, i guess furthermore thinking about in terms of indy um and uh kind of starting the previews uh for the indy uh, road course yeah i think just in general the expanding races better and it's been better than the cup let's be honest but you know the thing with uh the thing with the Xfinity series is that you know they have the lower downforce package and they didn't choke the engines with uh with the tapered spacer that the cup series is implemented and you know when you compare the two series well let's just look at the finish from 
the Xfinity Series, the uh, Chase Briscoe was able to track down and pass uh, Ross Chastain, and he pulled away because uh, he did have the better handling car at the end. But then uh, on the restart, when they had the uh, late race caution, uh, uh, we saw that R- Ross Chastain was able to pull away for a little bit, but then he was able to... Uh, or Chase Briscoe was able to go out and pass him and contrast that with Saturday's finish for uh, the Cup Series we saw uh, Denny Hamlin kind of knock down uh, Kevin Harvick's lead uh, at the end and Kevin Harvick was running into lap traffic and we saw once he got away from the lap traffic, we kind of saw him pull away again. And Denny Hamlin kind of really only had uh, one or two opportunities to really make up ground. And once he got up close, it was harder to um, keep that same rate of uh, uh, speed that he was going at to close that gap. And and as a result, we saw him kind of fall back and, and not um, pass Kevin Harvick for the win. And then they had to resort to that strategy that we saw on Sunday. But just in general, it just seems like the Xfinity series, you're able to actually uh, close up on a guy and pass, and and you're able to ext- um, sustain a battle for precision well into a run. And we saw that at Homestead where they got deep into a green flag run where um, – the cars were able to actually pass each other and they didn't need to be just off of a restart where as in cup, you know, you got to make all your moves as much as you can on the restart and just hope that maybe your tires are a little bit better than the guy in front of you or that you have a slightly better handling car and that eventually you'll be able to get past them. And even then it's not a guarantee because we see with clean air being such a factor that you really have to be um, in clean air to make that pass. And if you take, if the guy in front of you takes their line away, or if you take the other guy's line away, then it's a lot harder to make that pass. And it's something to look uh, going forward, and maybe maybe uh, they'll fix that. But it just seems like the central problem with the racing of the Cup Series is that the car is too too dependent on front downforce, and they don't. Um, have a more effective way of generating the downforce without um, affecting the speed of the car in the corners. Yeah, the I, I mean the the 550 rules package in general. When I mean, if we if if we got into we kept it simple, it sucks. I mean, Matt Weaver is out there talking about how bad it is he's been talking about it for a couple of years nascar has been going back and forth with high down force slow down force they've been doing high horsepower lower horsepower every year since like 2014 ever since the gen 6 came to be um the two steves now are on this high downforce, low horsepower thing. They think that that's the end-all, be-all. Um, and fundamentally, it doesn't... The the Xfinity race proved that you can have more horsepower, you're going to have more mistakes, 
but if you put it in a in the hands of most cup drivers they would have been able to save some of those race cars you have high horsepower low downforce think that's what racing is all about you should be on edge you should be um thinking that you're trying to hold on for dear life that's what racing should be about and that's why the xfinity series for the last couple of years has been a much better product than the cup product but obviously nascar the two steves they think they know everything so that's fundamentally why things are the way they are um We'll go into, uh, you know, previews, uh, brief previews. In terms of the, we talked about the Brickyard 400 and who probably has a chance, but we could talk about the Indy Road Course. First time for the Xfinity Series running the road course in Indianapolis. They should be running at IRP, but um, for whatever reason they aren't. A truck should be there as well. They aren't. They're going to run the Indy Road Course. So who do you look for to stand out, uh, possibly go and win? And uh, is there a chance of other surprises similar to what we saw at Pocono with uh, uh, a lot of the guys that finished in the top ten? Yeah, I think you're going to look for the guys who have significant road course experience uh to go out and lead the race and and win probably and i think that's gonna be either austin Sindrick or aj allmendinger i think those are the guys that you should uh be watching uh on on saturday when the swing race is held you know the uh aj allmendinger is uh very experienced with road courses and he's won on road courses in the past and so is austin Sindrick. so watching them throughout their careers it shouldn't be a surprise if either one of them uh, won the race or if they led a significant portion of the race uh, potentially maybe for somebody who might surprise or other guys who might surprise maybe uh, Justin Algar you know, he's had some uh, road course success in the past uh, potentially maybe uh, maybe somebody like even Ross Chastain or uh, Noah Gregson, obviously they're a regular driver uh, in the series, but potentially, you know, they, you know, for them being in the the championship, they they have to be uh, uh, able to go out and win the race, and even Chase Briscoe, for that matter, you know, this is a new track for him, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of approach he takes for this weekend, and if uh, they're able to be successful, because I mean, he's obviously he's an oval guy, but. Um, not really sure how well he'll do on the road courses and maybe even another guy is uh, uh, Jeremy Clements he had a top 10 this past weekend and you know he's won on Road America in the past so maybe if the luck falls his way if they have a fuel mileage run or they just have a better strategy um, similar maybe to last week and they um, things go their way maybe they'll get a top 10 or possibly a top 5 or a win yeah, when he, with Jeremy Clemens, there was a he won at Road America. I think it was a wet dry race, so 
who knows what the weather will be. We don't know uh, what it'll end up being, but if there is, if if rain plays a role at uh, Indianapolis, it's a perfect opportunity for a regular who's run every week to to go and sneak a sneak a win in there. I would look at Alex LeBay, who runs, who's a former Pinty's cast car champion. Uh, Canadian, he's he knows how to run to run slick racetracks, and he knows how to run in the rain. Josh Williams, who runs for DGM as well, lost a lot of points at Pocono, unfortunately, early. But he's a guy who's been known to just kind of grind out uh, a finish. Those are two guys who. You, Brandon Godovic, who's a road racer, he runs the uh, Lamborghini Super Trofeo series. He'll be in the Sam Hunt 26. Uh, Preston Pardis, who's Dan Pardis' son, formerly a uh, great ARCA driver, Dan Pardis, uh, and an announcer as well. Uh, he'll be in the 36. Those are road race uh, veterans. Josh Balicki will be in a BJ McLeod. Uh, car some of the guys that'll be uh, that are not out there um, in general not usually out there of course Almendinger he'll be working TV so he'll run the Xfinity race and then he'll be working the TV for uh, the uh, uh, IMSA race afterwards and then um you know, I, I mean, I think in the end, Sindrick is the favorite. Uh, he's been up there a lot uh, this year. Um, his uh, lack of talent and ability is why he hasn't won as many races as he probably should have. Um, a better driver probably would have won uh, at least one race. Uh, but Sindrick is really good on road courses and... Uh, family lineage and all that would say that the Penske 22 would be a favorite. Uh, Chase Briscoe won the Roval. A lot of experience uh, running the the whatever um, road course series, uh, the, the endurance series they have along with the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And uh, he's been learning a lot there uh, with uh, with uh, running the road courses, and uh, he's 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 able the Michelin Pilot Challenge there, and he's getting better in that in that uh, aspect. So there's a, a chance for Chase to get number five. At Indy, of course, Tony Stewart was supposed to run uh, this race, and he had announced he was going to, but between trying to work on equipment and in his schedule, running 410 sprint cars, running the All-Star Circuit of Champions, running Stewart Haas Racing, all those things, and then no fans, uh, he decided not to run uh, this race, which is a shame as a Tony fan, but um, 
it might end up being a good thing for uh, Chase Briscoe to possibly go and get a fifth win here in 2020. We will end the uh, GSP with a discussion on the IMSA series. We're talking about the WeatherTech 240 at Daytona. It will be the first race since the Rolex 24 at Daytona uh, for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, They will have, it'll be a sprint race, and it'll include all four four uh, champion four classes that um, that they will uh, be running which will be the the prototypes the Daytona prototype international LMP2 uh, GTLM which is also known as GTE in the world mo- the 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 World Sports Car, the um, FIA World Endurance Championship, and then the GTD category, which includes GT3 cars, which is a lot of the um, Pro-Am categories. So uh, you look back at the Rolex 24, Daytona in general has fit the Cadillacs, the normally aspirated uh uh, cars in the prototype category um, but there's been balance of performance changes and a uh, question I would say to you Josh is do we see because it's a because it's a, a, a sprint race because of BOP do we see a better race do we see the turbo cars the Acuras and Mazdas perform to possibly go and get a win there at Daytona on July the 4th. Yeah, it's certainly possible. Uh, definitely seems like the balance of performance changes will favor the uh, Acuras and uh, even even some of the other cars. So uh, I think, yeah, and even, even like um, Mazda. Uh, so I, I think definitely they'll be able to challenge. Maybe we'll see one of the Penske cars uh, uh, go go for the win potentially and, and maybe we'll get a good finish and certainly the possibility there for sort of a similar finish uh, back in the I think like the late 2000s there was a, a race uh, when they had the Paul Revere 250 and they uh, had I think it was like a side-by-side finish to the line and certainly a few years ago with the two Corvettes uh, in 2016 with the Rolex 24 so it's always a good potential uh, especially with uh, the balance of performance and and um, with uh, the sprint race so it will be, it'll be a very entertaining race for sure I think yeah I mean the having a basically a remake of the Paul Revere 250 which was something they did back in the 70s and the 80s and the early days of IMSA, and then they brought it back during the Grand M days. Um, it's an unfortunate thing. I know for you, Josh, you're out over by Daytona and uh, not having the Coke Zero 400 on this weekend. I think it's kind of sacrilege as a old-school racing fan and 
you should have July the 4th at Daytona. It kind of fits, you know, for history and Richard Petty winning his 200th race on July the 4th when President Reagan flew in, when you consider, you know, the politics that took place during Daytona 500. You know, like, it just seems weird that NASCAR won't be at Daytona on July the 4th, but at least IMSA will be there for a sprint race in the evening, so it'll be in the, it'll be a night race, so that'll be cool. Then you'll have some fireworks, it'll be all nice, and and uh, hopefully it'll be a, a competitive race. The prototype category will be able to put a good show. And um, we will find out about, you know, a lot of the changes that are coming along, some of the viability of some of the teams, both in the uh, GT and in the prototype ranks, being able to manage uh, through this COVID-19 pandemic and further races as they go along uh, post um, Daytona. Uh, to be able to get through and uh, uh, go through the rest of the season. Hopefully they'll uh, be able to uh, have, um, you know, a continued uh, 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 viable schedule and uh, viable teams. There's be a 26-car field here at uh, Daytona for the um, WeatherTech 240. And um, we will uh, see what they do after uh, post-Daytona for the other races um, and what comes of that. So um, with that, we will um, end the... Uh, Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, Josh, do you have anything going out? Yeah, I mean, just um, looking forward to the awesome weekend of racing, you know. And it's never been, a, you know, people talk about sports being gone. Well, right now has never been a better time to be, uh, start getting into racing. And definitely a diverse uh, choices coming up now with IndyCar kind of coming back. Uh, after being away from a, uh, a month and NASCAR having already been back for a while now and Formula One's now um, returning and um, now we have IMSA starting to return back so certainly um, a good time to get into it if uh, anybody listening or anybody wants to get into the racing when yeah when you talk about with baseball they're not going to be back until the end of July basketball and hockey are coming back but it's not fully solidified racing for all of us racing fans we we live for weekends like this where you have multiple forms of motorsport going on on the same weekend and quite frankly from Friday afternoon through sunday it's going to be a blast so we'll discuss everything that goes on this weekend here on the gsp next week and um 
follow us on uh, Apple, on uh, iTunes, on uh, we're over there, and we're also on Podbean, Grip Street Podcast. Follow us there, and you can follow us on our social media channels. Josh and I are on Twitter by our names, and um, on Facebook as well. And uh, thank you so much for listening to Gripster Podcast. We'll be here next week to go and uh, recap everything and go over. We'll be going on the following week. Take care. God bless.